Okay, I'm going to read in Second Corinthians, the 12th chapter. And again, as we have been sharing, these times we, we do, uh, and they are for prophecy about things that are going on on the earth. But all along, God has told us and still instructing us while prophecy is being fulfilled, he's instructing us the thing, the greater thing that we have, and that's who we are in Christ. That's 2 Peter 1, uh, 17 to 21. So because of that, I just want to speak, and, and, and I believe what God would have us all to hear is something that I come to find out as I talked with Mike yesterday he had been sharing, led by God, about, about weakness, and so had I. And God brought out some tremendous things uh, pertaining to that. And so I'm going to read from 2 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, and then we'll just get right into this. And boy, this is so foundational. It is so foundational. This is 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 1. It says, It is not expedient for me, doubtless, to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. He said, for I will come. And so for him to glory outside of anything in Christ, that would be the thing that would inhibit him in his own life for coming to the place experientially about who he is in Christ based upon who Christ was in him. And again, this has to do with image. So again, he says, for us to understand it, and this is in the King James, it is not expedient for me, doubtless to glory. And of course, the cross does that. It separates uh, the flesh from, and the old man, from anything other than Christ glorified. That's based upon Galatians 6 and verse 14. And this is what he came to. He said, I knew a man in Christ. It was about 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell, or out of the body, I cannot tell. Many thought that this was the time in Acts when he was stoned and left for dead. Many believe that. This, that was what happened at this particular time. He said, I can't tell. But this is what he did say, God knows. <laughs> That's an amazing thing. God knows everything. He knows who he is. He knows who his son is. He knows the power of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to get into those, two, those amazing things, this three things that God would have us to get into this morning. It's called weakness. It's called guilt. And it's called power. He said, God knows such a one that was caught up to the third heaven, the, the place right where God dwelled. And of course, that was brought out in the type of the Holy of Holies. There was the Holy of Holies, the middle court, and the outer court. And that was just the shadow of, of those things that were true about God in Christ. I knew such a man. Notice that he said, I knew such a man. I knew who I knew was this man in Christ based upon what God knew. Whether in the body or out of it, I can't tell. Again, is the issue. This <laughs> solves everything. God knows. Thank God, even in the, in the sense that in 1 John 3.20, if our heart, which our mind and our emotions, 
those emotions that are bad, that would have bad thoughts, would be the thing that the enemy could use to condemn us. And 1 John 3, 20, if, if my mind condemns me, God is greater than my mind. God, God is greater than my mind. He's greater than my weakness, yet he uses it. He's greater than my mind, and he knows all things. And then when we do know that he loves us, it is that confidence in 321 of 1 John that we have. So he said, God knows, in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 3, how that he was caught up into paradise, right into the third heaven, and heard words he could not even speak put language to, and that's what it means, not lawful for a man to utter, meaning it was just beyond, it was such an ex unbelievable experience because the flesh in that sense was absent. He couldn't even put words to it. It's so phenomenal. He heard these words, unspeakable. He was so overwhelmed with the presence of God. It wasn't anything he even had to speak. He just had to receive it. And it wasn't lawful. It wasn't even any way at that point that he could utter it. Of such a one will I glory. Because <laughs> that's Christ in the vessel. In 2 Corinthians 4, 7. Yet of myself. Notice that. Yet of myself. I will. His will. Not active in the flesh. Will not glory. But in my infirmities. Oh boy. Those things that bring out the reality of just how weak we truly are. Now, we've said before that when Adam fell, first God gave the first gift that God gave Adam and Eve, who came out of Adam, the first gift that he gave was free will. And when God does something in freedom, unconditional, it's unconditional love. There's no strings attached. So when God gave him the will, even when he failed, he didn't take away the will because it was grace. It was absolute grace. That's why in Genesis 6 and verse 8, even in the Old Covenant, what did Noah find in the eyes of the Lord? He found grace. Why? Because grace found him, gave him the opportunity. But notice what he said. He said, I will, my will is not active in glory in, in the flesh, but in my infirmities, the things that the flesh doesn't want. <laughs> We don't want to be the flesh in us that has to decrease in John 3.30 so that we can experience the increase. Does not want to be weak. But that doesn't stop God in his love, his mercy, his unconditional grace and love. Doesn't stop him from doing so. Because the plan, the work that only Christ could complete for each individual is complete. And now that it is in John 19 verse 30, he's working it into us in our experience right in the midst of weakness. Not taking away the will, but boy, the will can function in another power. Not the power of Christ, but the power of evil. And with the power of evil comes that unbearable burden called guilt and condemnation, to which there is none to us in Christ in Romans 8 and verse 1. So he said, again, of such a one will I glory yet yet of. And this is why we stress again, these words in and of are extremely important where they're located, where God the Holy Spirit has located them in the word of God. But of myself, I will not glory, but in my infirmities, because that's where Christ meets me, who's all the power 
when a will is submitted. He didn't take away weakness. Now, did God through Christ, as we realize this truth by the power of the Holy Spirit, did he crucify the old man in Romans 6, 1 through 6? Yes. Did he deal with all of our personal sins to those and those only that would receive Christ? Did he do so? And yes, he did. In Psalm 103 and verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our sins and our transgressions from us. And by the way, Christ seated in heaven, they are no longer on him. He never would have been there had they been. There never would have been a resurrection. So, resurrection life has to do with Christianity. Has everything to do with it. That's brought out in, in the fact of, uh, of Acts 17 and verse 31. The two things the resurrection reveals to us is that Christ is our life and that because of that, there's no judgment for us, but judgment is coming. And that, again, has to do with prophecy. But thank God we have a more sure word in 2 Peter 1 and verse 19 than prophecy. Because prophecy will be done away with and will be dealt with, but who we are in Christ will continue for all eternity. And that's what 2 Peter 1, 19 to 21 brings out, based upon Ephesians 3, 19 to 21, to know the love of Christ that passes knowledge because of him. So, then he says in verse 6 of 2 Corinthians 12, For though I would desire to glory, <laughs> I will not be a fool, because a fool is one who glories in the flesh. His, his whole object is himself in ignorance, in rebellion, in stubbornness under Satan. That's a fool. Again, a fool, if we want to understand it. And the Amplified Bible brings it out and brings out those Hebrew words in, in a fairly good way in Proverbs 18, 1 and 2. A fool. I will not be a fool. For I will, notice, my will submitted experiences and I can speak the truth. But now I forbear lest any man should think of me above that which he sees me to be or that which he hears of me. And so because of that, even that was Paul in control of it. Absolutely not. Because it says this in verse 7, And lest I should be exalted above measure. Oh boy. Oh boy. Lest I should be. Or lest I should exalt myself above anyone else, like the system does with the flesh and so-called Christianity, but is no more than Christendom, functioning apart from Christ, maybe declaring him, but never experiencing him. And, and, and not doing so, you're not blessed because Christ hasn't been glorified in the experience. And he will not share, God will not share his glory and the glory of his Son with anyone. In Isaiah 42, in verse 8, he will not do that. So he said, lest I should be exalted above measure, through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me. And boy, we don't like that. We don't like to be buffeted, afflicted and things to keep us in a state of being weak so that we don't function in pride and live in distance apart from Christ. And so he said, through the, there was given that thorn, 
the messenger of Satan to buffet me. Many, and, and many believe, and as I do, as you study it, Paul was an epileptic. He had a very, very poorly bad eyesight. You can tell because he didn't have an amanuensis to even write the, the, the epistle to Galatians. And that's why he even said there, see what a large letter I'm sending you. He was weak. But could God perform? Where is the only place that God will perform our position, what he's completed in us? Where's the only place that we experience that weakness? And that's the thing we do not want. We don't want to be weak because that's the flesh in pride trying to exalt itself even above God. No wonder the flesh in Romans 8, 7 is strong, settled thoughts and feelings unchangeable of hatred toward God. Because where did that flesh come from in Genesis 3, 1 to 6? It came from that subtle evil one. Lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it may, be, that it may depart from me. Many believe, and I do too. <laughs> Listen, it wasn't just three times. Because any time we're in the flesh, that's what we're asking. How many times do we ask that? How many times does Paul ask that? Way more than thrice or three. And he said unto me, my grace, the grace that's in me through my son, not in you, positionally, yes, but in your experience, it's my grace becomes that sufficiency for you. And in that grace is where my love will flow with all the wisdom that you need to understand that I am in Christ alone for you. Unchangeable, Malachi 3.6. Unchangeable, Hebrews 13, 8. Unchangeable, James 1 and verse 17. He said unto me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made complete in weakness. And boy, we don't want that. No, we want to be independent in strength apart from him. We want things from him, but then we think we can be in control of them. We're going to see how that is this morning for all of us. Most gladly, therefore, will I. See his will now? Will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power, see the power there? The power of Christ may rest upon me. Where? In weakness. That's why it says in Joel 3.10 and 2 Corinthians 12.9, let the weak say, and only the weak can say, what? I am strong. I am strong. That the power of Christ may rest upon me and be the place where I rest and the place where I meet God. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities. Really? In the flesh? Do everything we can to avoid them. Get into counseling God, and counseling God is just with doubt, fear, and anger, and irritation. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities. Well, who took pleasure in all of that in our place? Who's the only one in John 8, 29, and Romans 15, and verse 3, only please the Father? Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches. Oh, boy. He who took all of our reproaches. Psalm 69, verse 9. In necessities. Oh, God. That doesn't take patience and weakness 
and, and being reduced in self. I take, I take, I take what? In necessities. Um, how's this going to happen? How are you going to meet this? What am I going to do? I tell you what we're going to do. And I'm going to do. What can we do with with him? Everything. In Philippians four thirteen, what can we do without him? Do you see the will is involved, and there's no power yet experientially when the will hasn't been submitted, and all you do is function in weakness. And weakness, okay, without power is the lie of some kind of strength that we might have that only means resistance against God who's for us. And the enemy uses that in our experience to oppose ourselves in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 25 because God is for me in Romans 8, 31 and in Psalm 56 and verse 9. He's for me, but he's not for the flesh. In necessities, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, and only when I'm weak, with a submitted will, weak properly is submitted will for the believer. That's what it is. When I am weak, <laughs> oh boy, watch this. When I am weak, then I am strong. That's when I'm strong. That's when I experience the reality of a proper image. Now, Paul had a will. This is the apostle. God had given him all this truth. See that from, from Galatians, the first chapter, starting in Acts, the ninth chapter. You can see it. Watch the flow in, the, in, in, in his grace, of, of growing in grace and beginning to experience the knowledge of who Christ was in him and who he was in Christ. Even in his beginning, he said, I am not, in 1 Corinthians 15, 9, I am not qualified to be called an apostle. I am, that's right. Not qualified. There's no qualifications in the flesh. I am not qualified. No man is qualified to be another man's authority in Christianity. It's Christ alone. No man. Authority to preach. Given the authoritative word to preach, to lead individuals to Christ, being their authority and in control with his love? Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. No question about it. But he said that when I am weak, I am strong. Paul had a will of his own. He said, I am not qualified to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. But contrasting conjunction, separation, contrast, who I was, what I was doing. Now I'm in Christ. Conjunction separates. But I am what I am by the grace of Christ. And I labored even more abundantly than them all. But you know what? It wasn't I. But it was Christ in me and with me. And then he said in Ephesians 3, 8, in his growth, positional truth, the height, the height, listen, and the height of foundational beginning positional truth is the book of Ephesians. That's the beginning. <laughs> and boy, when we don't have that proper beginning, read Matthew 7, 24 to 27. Anything else is sand. It's not foundational truth in Matthew 16, 18, based, and also with 1 Corinthians 3, 10 and 11. We need to be careful what we build upon because if the foundations can be moved, can they really be in a submitted will and experiencing Christ? But if the foundations be moved, what will the righteous do in Psalm 11 and verse 3? Paul had a will of his own. 
1 Corinthians 15, 9 and 10. Now he says, I am the least. I am the least of all the saints. I am less than the least of all the saints. That's where we all have to be brought. That does away with the comparison of the flesh. You see it? It does away with it. And he has to make us weak. He has to make us weak. So we experience that. Because the only way we make that adjustment from the weakness that's in the flesh that we think is strength that he weakens in Psalm 102, verse 23, and the difference between the weakness with the will submitted is that power that has done away with guilt and condemnation positionally, but now it enters into the experience. That's power. Power. And we don't have it. He has to, he's training us. He's training us. And then finally Paul would say, and this is a place where he has to lead each of us, in 1 Timothy 1 and verse 15, I am the chief of sinners. Yes, apart from Christ, that's who we are. That's why he has to make us weak experientially, because we will never experience the reality of a proper image and a proper position and a proper place outside of him making us weak. Oh, no wonder it says, without him, what can we do in John 15, 1 through 5? We can't do anything. Paul had a will of his own. Listen, as an apostle, the whole time he walked the face of the earth, and he's no different than you and I in Christ. He had a will of his own that did not like entire dependence upon God. He did not like it. And in the flesh, you and I don't like it. We'll do everything we can to fight it. We do every single thing we can to fight it. So Christ used the thorn to make him know fully that the eternal life that he, Christ, through the God the Father, through Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, that life he had given him could only be guided by Christ alone through the power of the Holy Spirit. We can't do that. We can't do it. And he had to hinder anything in his earthen vessel that would impede that reality. Had to. God doesn't have any other choice than his love for us in Christ. Isn't that wonderful? And he can only go through grace. And grace will only reach the experience through a submitted will to be able to make that adjustment from, from functioning in one form of weakness, okay? And then that weakness, without the operation of self involved, brings in the power of Christ with which nothing else can be mixed to. It's like, we, like God taught us about how love, God is love in 1 John 4, 8 and 16, and love is the active energy of God's nature. And out of that comes light, which is purity, which light itself refuses to be mixed with any other element. God will not mix his son. It's impossible. It can't happen. And God, because God has said so. And so he had this will. Paul had this will. And he had to be taught these things. And so Paul takes his place. Place is important. Image and place, and this will be brought out soon. I, I, I trust God and ask for prayers with the booklet on image and place, which is very, very foundational and very necessary for, for all of us to continue to go back and grow in. So Paul had it before that. He takes his place as a heavenly man. No longer a man in responsibility 
to God apart from Christ. Boy, you want to talk about false burden, false need, false everything, the lie that I can do something when in me, outside of Christ in my experience, dwells no good thing in Romans 7, 18, based upon John 6 and verse 63. So he had to see this and he had to learn this, that he's as a heavenly man, the Lord gives him what would bring his own energy to a close. You know what weakness is apart? It's energy from the power of evil. That's weakness apart from Christ. Oh, God, help us. Yes, and he will. He humbles us with these thorns, these afflictions, these necessities, these persecutions, these reproaches, these distresses, because that's what you find in the flesh. Still trying to do it, but yet weak as ever, and weaker and weaker, yes. Thank God, hopefully, in areas of our growth, we have to be brought intimately and intricately to the place of self-helplessness and self-hopelessness. Because all our hope, all our guarantees, the unconditional promises in 2 Corinthians 1.20 are all in Christ in Colossians, in Colossians 1 and verse 27. Christ in you, the guarantee of glory. Nothing is guaranteed to the flesh. Furthermore, it's not even who we are. Romans 8.9 brings that out clearly. It's in us, but we're not of it. See, in and of. There is something, and this is, this is what's so incredible. There's something, as many have said long before me, something exceedingly beautiful in Christ first putting that life into that vessel and then taking care of it. Imagine that, long before we ever knew, long before we ever gave him glory, long before we ever returned his love and obedience, we were taken care of. This is brought out in Romans chapter 5, and you read those 21 verses, but specifically 5, 6 through 10. The beauty of that. When we were without strength, meaning we didn't have any grace, but yet it was, in, it was his anticipative love for us in Christ, being worked out in prevenient grace, and prevenient grace for us to understand is the grace that was active towards us, meaning his love was flowing through and doing something in us, even when we weren't aware of it. And even when my will, not yet submitted, it was still active in bringing me to that place of self-help and self-hope. That's, that's prevenient grace, long before it ever becomes convenient and comfortable. And so what we see here is how beautiful that is. That beautiful saying that that eternal life is a thing you cannot keep yourself in your experience apart from a submitted will. You'll just function in weakness, which is the flesh, which is just the flow of the power of evil. And that's it. And thank God that we can have these things and hear them. But he said, I must give power. Christ says, through the power of the Holy Spirit, God says, I must give power for you to spend it properly and be guided by it in a way to make you feel that even that eternal life that you have that is in you is as dependent on Christ as your life was dependent on God even before you received him. He has to keep us weak. He has to keep us weak. And so we see this. 
This new life cannot make a day's journey without the sense of two things. One, my strength, my Christ, my Son is made complete in your weakness. That's the thing the enemy wants to distract and use you to resist by your unsubmitted will, by my unsubmitted will, so that the power of resistance and evil in the flesh that's in us that we're not of opposes ourselves. Because we know, again, God's for us in Romans 8.31 and Psalm 56 and verse 9. We see it. My, number one, my strength is made perfect in weakness. The eternal life flowing into the vessel is one thing, yes, and power to let it out of the vessel is another thing. He has to break the vessel. No wonder it says in Psalm 51 and verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a contrite heart. Oh, he won't take that lightly. No, because that's the flow of his son who glorified him and himself is glorified and brings the position here in the heavenly right, to, right into us while we're on this earth, right into our experience. And that's what he does with that. And that is a completely other thing. Life flows from us only as it is under the guardianship of Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. Remember, we are kept in 1 Peter 1.5 by the power of God. We're kept by it. He has all power in heaven and on earth in Matthew 28 and verse 18. He has it all. And he's not given us the spirit of fear and that's a fear is, is a spirit. It's a demonic, it's demonic spirits against the Christian in their experience. Not, nothing to do with their position. God has not given us the spirit of fear in 2 Timothy 1.7, but of power. You see that? That's grace flowing into the experience in a weak state. Now you have power. Now you have a well-disciplined mind. Now you know how to, to understand the word apart from the flesh. Apart from trying to con control God with what he's given you. God help us from that insanity. That's another thing. It flows. The believer has it because, and, and he has it positionally because it takes in every thought, thought and feeling, emotion to be occupied with him who gave it. What am I occupied with when my will isn't submitted? I'm going to tell you what we've become occupied with and make more of Christ. What are we, okay? Infirmities. We become occupied with them. Reproaches. Necessities. The details of life. What are we going to do now? The details of life. Persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. You know why? Because when death has worked in us, in 2 Corinthians 4.10, listen, 11 and 12, when death is worked in us, it's no longer even about us. That life goes out, that's mine in Christ, goes out to others. There's the freedom. And that's the abundant life in John 10, 10 the B part. The abundant life. He gave us life, that's intimate experience and life with him. And then more abundantly is for others. You live for God, guess what? You live for others. Self is not even in the picture. You're so overwhelmed and I'm so overwhelmed with him. It's no longer, no longer 
I'm thankful now. Now I can take pleasure in infirmities, reproaches, necessities, persecutions, and distresses because I know that it's for Christ's sake that I'm weak. And that's why even Christ, in terms of his humanity, never in terms of disobedience, disobedience or obedience, because he had an impeccable human nature, not liable to sin. He had to learn obedience in his humanity because as God, he never had to learn that. But what we see very clearly is, is that he was crucified in weakness in 2 Corinthians 13, 4. That means he put on humanity. He was crucified in weakness. Perfect identification with us. And the, per- the perfection of the identification is the completion of the work that only he could do and did. That's it. Okay? And then he identifies with us has, and our identity that he identifies with us has nothing to do with the flesh. has everything to do with who he is in us and his intimate, unbelievable desire. God desired us so much, so much, that of course he had to propitiate himself so that love could flow in perfect justice and there would be no wrath, which there is none for us. No wrath for us in 1 Thessalonians 1.10, 1 Thessalonians 5.9, based upon the reality of John 3, verse 36. When we're in Christ, wrath is not there. Outside of him, it abides. Now, when I don't function with a submitted will, positional truth does not meet my experience, and when it doesn't, the power of evil tells me what? God has something against me. This is happening because he has something against you. Do you see, you have these infirmities, these reproaches, these necessities, and these persecutions and distresses because God has something against you. No, he does not. It's finished in Christ. It's the will. It's the power of Christ versus the power of evil. One is an unsubmitted will. The power of evil functioning in the flesh that's in the Christian, but they're not of. And the other is a proper experience based upon that position about who we are in Christ. That is the power of Christ himself. 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 24 with Matthew 28, 18, 1 Peter 1, 5. We see those things crystal clear with 1 Corinthians 1, 24. Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God that keeps out the lie of 2 Timothy 1.7, God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love. A very well-disciplined mind. Knowing how to think right through things, right through this world that we're walking through on our way to a face-to-face eternal meeting with him in 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 12, that nothing again will ever disturb or distract. But he's training us for that meeting through weakness. He has to keep us weak because truthfully, that is who we are apart from truly who we are in Christ. As we begin to to wrap this up and and, uh, we can see these things very, very carefully as we give ourselves over to Christ. And so what we need to do again is, is understand that that life flows from us only as it is under the guardianship of Christ. And that's worked out and has to do with the treasure that's in the vessel. Not the vessel. It's the treasure that's in the vessel. And that brings out the clarity of Hebrews 13 and verse 17. Obey them that are your guides. 
and submit yourselves to them because it's Christ in the vessel. And if it's anything else, God will protect you and cover you and deal with you faithfully. Because even if we abide not faithful, he abides faithful. He will never deny himself to you and who he's made you to be in Christ in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 13. So we need to understand that. So here we see this. Here we see it. This. That. This. The believer has all of this in Christ. We have it positionally. And we're to be occupied with him that gave it. The earthen vessel that we have is carrying the life which Christ had put into it. That's what he was telling Peter. Peter, I told you so many things, but you took them and thought that you could walk in them apart from me. And all it did was cause you to go back into the world and go out and get occupied with other things and go right back to those things that you did in John 21 and verse 3. But I, I'm going to meet you on the shore. And I'm going to call you to come out from the darkness, from striving, from trying to do something in your old occupation without any power, just in weakness with an unsubmitted will. And I have a meal prepared for you. And then I'm going to recommission you not based upon what you did or what you didn't do, but upon my grace. And I had to allow you to come to a place of weakness. And in that weakness, I'll call you and then you'll see and you'll hear me. And then you'll come in and I'll prepare a meal for you. And then I will teach you in 21, 15 through 17 of John. Do you love me? Peter, with a self-sacrificial love. Do you? Then only then, Will you, will you feed my lambs? Will you feed my sheep? Will you feed my sheep? Three times. And those three times was, was an answer to what Jesus told him in John the 13th chapter, all the way to the end of that chapter, verse 38, when he told him, oh, you will serve me? You will do all these things for me? You'll die for me? I tell you, you will not hear the rooster crow three times before you'll, you won't even hear it crow till you deny me three times. And in answer to every one of your denials, is my grace that had to allow you to be weak so that I can tell you three times that only I can do in you what I've done and finished. And then I will carry you, Peter, in John 21 and verse 18. And that's not just through a bad place. That's a phenomenal, gorgeous, most unbelievable place we can't even fathom. That's 2118 of John. And so... He said, I'm going, I'm going to carry you. I'm going to carry you. I must carry the vessel in my hand, in my grace, in my power. It's the only way I can carry you. To give the right guidance and the only right guidance to that life, which is your proper image. But you and I, we don't like the wilderness, do we? You know why? Because this is what we're going to find in the wilderness infirmities in this world system, reproaches, necessities, persecutions, and distresses. We don't want them. We want something for the flesh. Forget Christ. I want this and I want it now. <laughs> Boy, Read Hebrews 11 about Moses in 23, 24, 25, 26, and 27 of Hebrews the 11th. Read all of the hero, the one hero, who allowed all those to be in that hall of Christ's fame, by the way. 
in Hebrews, the 11th chapter. They speak volumes to us through the scriptures. We don't like the wilderness. Why? How many pitfalls are there? How many? How many troubles? How much deep sand to have to get through? How much? In the hearts of people getting so tired. But it is with a God of resurrection that you and I have to do with in a place. See, place, place, image, place. Where he lets you stay to give you the opportunity like we are this morning by his pure grace of learning what self is and who we are in Christ. Two things we're learning in the wilderness. Constant lesson, won't end. It won't end till we see him face to face. God's path through the wilderness is that path of life that just gets brighter and brighter in Proverbs 4 and verse 18 because we know in Psalm 36 and verse 9, with you, O God, is the fountain of life. It's a fountain springing up in freshness. It's not a pond of the flesh life. With you, O God, is the fountain of life, Christ pouring himself out to us in our experience. And then we go from light to light. In your light, and only in your light, who we are in, son, in your Son and our experience, your sight, is the light that we are. And that path's getting brighter till we see Him soon, face to face. Again, in 1 Corinthians 13, 12. Yes, it is with a God of resurrection in a place where He lets you and I stay so that we have the opportunity of learning what that self-life is. And, and it's God's path through the wilderness. Not settling down and quitting. It's going through the wilderness. He never means you and I to get through a single day without being able to say experientially, I found his strength more perfect, more complete in my weakness than I ever did before. Ever. And the truth is it wasn't, his, it wasn't the strength of Christ in him that was getting stronger. He had that increase long before the decrease started in John 3 and verse 30. And by the way, it takes the increase for the decrease to happen, by the way. One can't happen without the other. No, it wasn't the strength of Christ in Paul or in us that gets stronger, but our sense of weakness getting stronger and stronger. Getting stronger and stronger and stronger. In this willpower, in these things, and so we're going to close here, but again, there's so much more to this that we just can't even get into right now. I just think because of time and because of it's so much that God's already given us. But there's so much more, so much more to this in its beauty and its excelling excellence. The treasure of Christ in us as a vessel. It's so much more. And Father, we thank you for this truth. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. We, can, we are so thankful, and you're teaching us through this thankfulness to be a proper worshiper. And we just thank you and praise you for this beautiful reality, Father, that only you can bring us to because it's based upon what your love has already accomplished for us in Christ. Father, bless us. Oh, God, please. Oh, God, make these truths to be so indel indelibly impressed upon us this morning as we continue to grow in them.
Father, thank you and praise you for each person here in Christ. Those that will be in Christ, those that you would have around us to lead to Christ in, in rest and assurance, not in striving. Just thank you, Lord. Thank you, God, that when I am weak, when I'm weakened, I'm so strong in you. Thank you this morning for each person, Father. And thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.